Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Um, have you ever been to Cathedral Park in Portland? You know, I have not been to the park, but I've seen many photos and beautiful paintings of that gorgeous bridge. Yes. That, like cathedral looking bridge. Yes. The St. John's Bridge in Portland is really beautiful and it's in a really kind of gorgeous area of Portland. If you guys ever decide to come to visit, I would recommend you go check out Cathedral Park in the St. John's Bridge. It's really beautiful. It's a green bridge too. My favorite color. Yes. It's, actually, red's my favorite color. I actually but. think it was mulled after the Golden Gate, too. But anyway, that's where my haunted story is going to take place today. Um, have you heard about Cathedral Park being haunted? I have not. Well, it is. It is super haunted. I believe you. <laughs> so, so haunted. I would haunt that place. It's so beautiful. I would, too. Why not? Mm-hmm. But it was also the site of a really bad murder, which is why it's haunted, Of course so. it was. Yeah. yeah All right. What happened? Back in 1949, there was a girl. Her name was uh, Thelma Taylor. She was a 15-year-old sophomore at Roosevelt High School. She was actually waiting to get on the bus because she was going to go out to Hillsborough of all places. Oh, Hillsborough. To pick beans for the summer. She had a summer job. Oh my job. gosh, that's an awful job. Uh, yeah, it's a horrible job. And she's up that's at like 4 a.m. out there waiting for the bus to come pick her up. And she's out there and she's, you know, hanging out. And of course, this guy shows up in his car and he's all handsome and sexy. And he's like, hey. And she's like, hey. And he's like... When they go for a ride, and she's like, yeah. Because, you know, it's better than riding the bus. <laughs> yeah, man. it sure is. It's better than bean picking, that's for sure. <laughs> so she hops in, and then they take off together. He ends up taking her down to this area that's actually pretty um, remote. It's down by the water. It's all sh- uh, underbrush and and not very cleaned up for at all. For some nookie? Yeah. Well, that's what he was after. He took her down there because he wanted to, you know, Privacy. He wanted to get laid. And it was all underbrush. And this is the spot of Cathedral Park today, which is beautiful. It's all grass and beautiful and pristine. But at the time of this murder, it was not. It was just the riverbanks and it was kind of bleh. Not good for a first date, dude. No. Bad choice. No. Bad choice. No. He took her down there and uh, he was going to try to rape her, but she... She actually convinced him not to because she was a virgin. And that seemed to work. He decided not to rape her, which wow. is an interesting thing. But maybe back in those days, it was a bigger deal, it I was, guess. It was like you'd be cursed if right. you took away somebody's virginity. There you go. When you're not meant to. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So the two slept the night underneath the St. John's Bridge. The next day, Thelma woke up and she could hear workers working on down by the train railroad tracks, down by the train cars. And so she started to scream, help me, help me, help me. And he, of course, heard her. He got up with a steel bar and he, he hit her multiple times in the head and then he stabbed her with a knife, murdered her. Then he wiped off his fingerprints under of, off of her lunch pail and gathered up his cigarette butts and then threw her body under a pile of driftwood and just took off. So, of course, her family doesn't know where she is, and they start to panic, and they're looking for her everywhere, and they can't find her. And about a week goes by, and the Portland police pull over a guy who's stolen a car. And when they arrest him, he says to them, um, 
you know, I want to talk to your homicide detectives. So Morris Leland was his name. They take him to the homicide detectives and he's like, look, I met this girl, Thelma, and I murder her and I'll take you to her body, which he did. So they, of course, bring him up on charges for first degree murder. He says he's not guilty by reason of insanity, but that didn't hold up in court. So he was convicted and he actually was executed in the gas chamber on January 9th, 1953. So if you think about it, she was murdered in 49 and they executed him in 53, which means back in those days, they did not wait around. No. You were convicted. You're going down. I mean, did he even get a last meal? I don't know. But it was like decades worth of appeals did not happen back in those days. It was just like, nope, you're done. That's interesting because mm-hmm. maybe because he confessed. Uh, yes, but they were trying to get the insanity defense and it didn't oh, work. Oh, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. But anyway, what does this have to do with hauntings, you ask? <laughs> I did ask that, didn't I? <laughs> Thank you for reading my mind. Yes. So Cathedral Park has been known as a haunted hotspot ever since this has happened. People claim that they can hear a woman screaming for help from the park late at night on during the summer, which is when she was murdered. And so it has been... Well known that Thelma Taylor is screaming and can be heard at night during the summer from the neighboring communities around there. That is so sad. That is the backstory to why that park is haunted. But now it's a gorgeous park. And my friend Amy, hey Amy, she had her play Trek in the Park there. Trek in the Park. Her and her brother, they put on Star Trek episodes in the park. That's right. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So I wonder if, you know, they incorporated the screams into um, one of the Star Trek episodes. They probably did. Probably the Furbies episode they did. They, I'm sure there were some screams. You know, I have heard that the winds blowing through those arches on the bridge, not to debunk your story, Carol's, but I've heard... Carol. I've heard they sound yeah. like women screaming. No, they don't. No, they, they sound like a beautiful violins playing. It's a ghost. It's like the architecture just, of the just, bridge. Just, okay, it's, it's ghost. the ghost. <laughs> we're going to say it's the ghost. We know it's the ghost. And also, the other thing, they've cleaned up that area so much so that I I think a ghost, if they were murdered there, they have no reason to leave. I'd hang out there. Yeah. It's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe after we die, we will haunt it together. And we'll, we'll hang out with Thelma. I think that ghosts hang out in schools because there's a lot of young energy there. Yes. And, you know, when we're young, we have strong emotions. Yes. And we're going through things and energy there is at an all-time yum-yum level. (laughs) Ghosts just are attracted to that. (laughs) The, The story that I got, the names of the four college students have been changed just to respect their privacy. Okay. Um, But I'm going to begin. So what brings us to this uh, story is the campus of Lewis and Clark College, located in Portland, Oregon. This school was voted the second most beautiful college in the nation by the Princeton Review in 2011. But for good reason, it's beautiful. It has sweeping, forested walkways, a serene atmosphere, and some of these really old buildings just look like they're haunted. Yep. Two of the buildings on campus were once elegant manors housing Portland's elite uh, Presbyterian Corbett household and the Jewish Frank family. 
So it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet, where you've got <laughs> this family against that family, and they're both elite, and they're both trying to, you know, be in the same area or the same campus. Right. So this is a classic love story. They're, one of their young sons, Frank, fell in love with the Corbett's daughter, Harriet. Oh. And of course, the two families don't really like each other. So it's a horrible, you know, thing. And she had the nickname Sunny because of her beautiful, long, sunny, blonde hair. Their romance, though, was also tragically short-lived. The Frank boy was sent to become a military pilot, and he actually was killed in an accident during a training exercise at the age of 20. Oh, that's too bad. So he did not live a long life. And Harriet, when she heard the news, was so heartbroken, she never recovered from her heartbreak. Her parents sent her away to a Pennsylvania institution for recovery. I don't have the details on if she actually recovered, but I do know that when she died, her body was sent back and she was buried in Portland's Riverview Cemetery. The Corbett house was sold to the Sisters of St. Francis in 1942, whereupon it was converted into a dormitory for nuns. It didn't become an official part of Lewis and Clark campus until 2000 when it was bought by the college with a grant from the estate of Sonny Corbett herself. And though her life had long, long since ended, her involvement in the house was far from over. Uh-oh. Although the college made an attempt to convert the Corbett house into classrooms, it quickly fell into disrepair, becoming a hotbed for ghost stories among the student population. One day in 2013, Four students thought it would be fun to spend the night in the Corbett house during a break in finals week. And guess what, Holly? What, Carol? That was a bad idea. Uh-oh. Yeah. Apparently the group, the two boys, we'll call them Tyler and Paul, and the other two girls, Angela and Don, hadn't seen quite enough horror movies. But they did get permission to spend the night on the one condition that they not open any of the exterior doors or windows, which would set off the house's alarm system. The campus police would arrive to unhook the alarm in the morning and let them out. Yes, this cliche-as-hell horror movie premise actually happened to real people. The four students were faced with the prospect of spending the night in the cavernous three-story manor, The main floor had dining areas and a grand ballroom, and then upstairs there were small bedrooms that dotted along the corridor, and downstairs lay a massive, smelly, moldy basement. Ew. Even worse, the only light switch that worked in the entire house was in the main banquet room. So, almost immediately, the report was that Tyler and Paul smelled a foul stench of rotten eggs. Well, eggs that's, and ghosts. Eggs and ghosts. That's either either a ghost or somebody who has a really bad gas. You know, isn't it natural gas that smells like rotten eggs? And people's gas. Well, yeah, but like, isn't that a warning if you smell rotten gas, get out of the place? Yes, because you're I close mean, to somebody eggs. who's you're close to somebody who's farting, so it's a good no. idea to get out of it. All right. Never mind. You don't know. Okay. But but it's a warning that actually Natural gas is leaking somewhere if you smell rotten eggs. I'm pretty sure. Out of my butt, yeah. Okay. The girls had no idea what these men were talking about because they didn't smell eggs at all. It was just cologne to them. (laughs) It was just boy smell to them. It was just boy smell. That's what I always smell around you guys. That's right. The first wise decision of the night was they opted not to go downstairs in the basement. Instead, they went upstairs Of course, towards the bedrooms. Of course they did. The girls ignoring the sudden sharp pains 
that simultaneously hit their stomachs as if in warning. They traveled down that long upstairs hallway, and the boys ahead of her, Angela, felt a hand, lift a strand of her long, beautiful blonde hair and let it fall. Positive that Dawn was just trying to freak her out, she turned around to yell at her, but Dawn wasn't there. What? Yeah. Nuh-uh. She was actually 10 feet behind Angela. <laughs> and when she turned around, she saw that Angela's mouth was hung wide open and she was white as a sheet. She did tell Angela that she had seen her hair lifted into air by an invisible force. Ugh, that's creepy. Needless to say, the four kids rushed back downstairs and called the campus police immediately, begging to be let out as soon as possible. <laughs> the police agreed to swing by, but said it would take about 20 minutes because there was an emergency medical call across campus. That's when all hell broke loose. Oh, those millennials, they need, want what they want and they want it right now. You got to wait 20 minutes while we go deal with a real emergency. You can just deal with That's your That's right. It's like you chose this, yeah. you stay there. You get you to mm-hmm. experience it for real, man. That's right. That's when all the noises started happening. The keys on the nearby piano started playing. Then as they edged closer to the piano, one of the boys tried to lift up the lid. And of course, there was no sound. Then when they turned around, a vacuum cleaner started to turn on of its own accord. And I'm going to remind you, there's no power in the house. So (laughs) this is really freaky that this is happening. Did the vacuum cleaner chase them? No, but they were so scared by it that they turned it off. And then they huddled together in a circle in the banquet hall facing out. And they were all just like scanning the empty room. Just like in Scooby-Doo? Was that, is that what happened Well, I mean, that's kind of what they do when they're scared. They all... They all join well, back. Maybe they did watch horror movies because that's a smart move. Yeah, well, that's what I would do. Anyway, the police came and it wasn't quite the end of their night. The second the police opened the door, every light in the house flared into brilliant life, wow. lighting every single room with amber glow. Wow. There's lots of witnesses to this, and they ran out into the night, escorted by the officer, who told them that they weren't the first students to have caught Sunny in a playful mood. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then, when tours used to run through the house, the spirit of Sunny Corbett would see a girl around the age she was when she lost her love and latch onto her. She especially loved girls who had long blonde hair just like her just like Angela, and the four got out of the Corbett house and never went back. In fact, Holly, Mm. no one has ever been back to that house. Is it still there? It is. Mere days after their nocturnal excursion, the sound system in the house switched on and wouldn't go off. So you can imagine an alarm that can't be turned off. Yeah. So it led to a campus ban, and there was never visitors allowed in there again. It now sits on the grad campus, dusty and disused. And at night, students still report seeing shadowy figures in the windows and hearing mysterious sounds emanating from the property. My old alma mater, University of Colorado, is also known for its famous hauntings. Oh, really? When you're a student there, you go through orientation. And the music students especially are told this story because Mackey Auditorium is where a lot of the concerts are held. Okay. You have to spend a lot of time there. Uh, For example, I played the organ, and so my lessons, I had to practice up there for my lessons in their organ room, which was in this really tall tower. You had to go up this really steep circular staircase, and the only time I could find to practice was 
you know, late at night. Yeah. When it was dark and spooky. Yeah, of Not course. a good thing, but of course, you know, <laughs> that was my practice time. Speaking of being set up for a horror movie, it's perfect. It's scary, scary. Over the years, there's been all kinds of entertainers come through there. And really, it's now been known for the murder that happened. Laura Jacket, who was a 20-year-old zoology student, and she was known to her friends and family as Lori. The story goes, on July 6, 1966, Lori was having her lunch and bird watching on the grass near Mackie while she waited for a couple of children she babysat to get out of a movie at a nearby theater. The remains of her lunch, her binoculars, and her wallet were found there, near the little irrigation channel that runs between the two buildings, Guggenheim and the Hale buildings. Her body was discovered later that afternoon by a couple of students in the isolated organ recital room of the West Tower of Mackey Auditorium. Elora had been raped and beaten to death so ferociously, several of her teeth were knocked out. Someone had tried to set her face on fire. What? Possibly to hide her identity, but the blood had thwarted the attempt. The murder weapon was believed to just be a piece of wood, which was also found at the scene. The coroner also recorded contusions and lacerations on Elora's neck, and throat, and a police investigation concluded that Elora had tried to crawl away from her attacker, who then grabbed her by her feet and swung her against the walls until her blood splattered as high as seven feet. Oh my god. Ugh. So they would tell this story, you know, as a new student, and and then they it's part of their orientation. You, <laughs> yeah. Now that then, we have your tuition money, we're going to tell you what really goes right. on here. Then they expect these poor <laughs> musicians to go in there and wow. concentrate and practice. Wow. I think it's just brutal. A thousand people were interviewed, and thirty days later, a campus janitor named Joseph Dyer Morse was arrested. Morse, who was thirty-seven, also had two teenage daughters of his own. And they had seen their dad on the day of murder carrying a bucket of bloody clothing. The print on a plywood board found at the crime scene also matched one of Morse's hands. It turned out that the normally placid and unremarkable janitor had a raging inner beast that was unleashed by alcohol. Whoa, that's quite a beast. My God. Yeah, witnesses saw him drinking at a bar near the campus that day and stories of drunken passes at women and incidents of violence later came to light. Morse was sentenced to 888 years in prison. He claimed innocence, though, until 1980 when he finally made the confession. He met Alora when she worked at the CU admissions office, and he never said how he lured her up the winding stairs of the West Tower and into the organ recital room, but Alora had been an accomplished singer and pianist and loved music. He may have made some excuse based on that. So there are reports of a woman being seen throughout the auditorium, People say that there are reports of also of a man in a brown suit wandering the auditorium. They have remodeled uh, the place. So there's, you know, new paint. There's, you know, everything yeah. has been changed in that room. But even though they've done that, there's reappearing bloodstains that appear on the wall oh my of God. the organ room. Ugh. And there's sounds of footsteps coming from all kinds of different unoccupied areas. I mean, this is a huge place. There's sounds of talking and singing. Of course, you know, in a building that big, there's always electrical disturbances. Right. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my personal experience. So when I played the organ and practiced up there, I definitely got the feeling that I was being watched. Oh, really? It was a really 
weird feeling yeah. and it was really hard to concentrate. Yeah. Um, and of course the scariest thing for me was actually the staircase Oh, I because bet. it was so steep. It was so s- scary. Spirally. Uh-huh. And you're way up in this tower mm-hmm. and I guess across campus, they can hear the organ music when you're playing. Oh, really? Because it just wafts out and, yeah. you know, on a summer night, you know, yeah. you have it open, It you know, during the spring and summer and fall, it can get kind of warm up there. Right. So one day, um, my roommate knew I practiced, and I usually practice there about 10 o'clock every night, uh-huh. and she was walking by, and she was like, I had come back to the dorm room, and she goes, oh, she goes, you're already back, and I go, yeah, and she goes, that's strange, and I go, why, and she goes, I just was walking by there and heard you playing, and I go, what do you mean, <laughs> she goes, I heard you playing the organ, and how did you get back here in time, and I said, yeah, that was like a couple hours ago. Wow. It was like midnight then. Somebody and, else was up there. But the thing was, this is a scary thing. It was playing the same song. Really? That I was playing. So either the teacher was just having all the students play the same song and he was a lazy SOB or the ghost was, was playing, playing my music again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a pretty disturbing story. And what happened to that girl is horrific. Okay. I do want to say that the family mm-hmm. of that girl is so tired of people basically just telling her story over and over again. They can't get closure on right, this. Right. And they're deeply religious. And they also said that their daughter was deeply religious. So yeah. They have a real problem with thinking that their daughter is not in heaven and that her ghost is there oh, right. being tortured. Yeah. So, and, and I understand that. So they actually hired an investigation team to do some research there. And, you know, when you're getting paid big money, you know, I, I kind of feel like they're, do, they're being hired to help bring closure to the family. Right, right. So they didn't find a whole lot of... Um, you know, atmospheric changes or yeah. anything that normal ghost hunters find. Yeah. And so the the family was really happy about that. But my theory is that she doesn't nec- – her ghost doesn't necessarily have to be there yeah. in order for ghostly activity to, to happen because right. I feel that when something awful has happened, like a murder – it's recorded into the stone or it's mm-hmm. recorded into the energy of the place, the energy in the place. Um, yeah. It's kind of like an imprint, like yeah. a burn. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's what happened at Cathedral Park. I think that bridge absorbs, Ab- absorb what happened the to screaming Thelma. and yeah. it echoes it back. It could be, it could very well be. Yeah. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode. <laughs>